0: Courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported
1: by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to morningstarbooksandgifts.com. That's morningstarbooksandgifts.com. Then click on the art and decorative link and click on icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. I want to say hello to some of you out there in the Akron-Canton area listening on Living Bread Radio, which is an EW10 affiliate. I want to thank you for listening and to remind you that you're in the area that is the center of my particular eparchy, the Eparchy of Parma. We have a lot of parishes in that area, in your listening area out there in Living Bread Radio area. And a couple of them in particular are close to home there in the Akron-Canton area, Barberton area. We've got St. Michael's Parish, which is on Crow Street in Akron, Ohio, and also St. Nicholas Parish, which is on Robinson Avenue in Barberton, Ohio. So I would advise you to go and visit them. Best way to learn about the Byzantine Church, the Eastern rites of the church, is to experience their liturgies, the way they worship. Because the way we pray is the way we think, the way we look at all of life. So if you want an insight into the soul of the Eastern churches, the best way is to attend their liturgy. And yes, if you're a Latin Rite Catholic, you may receive Holy Communion at any of our churches, at our liturgies, and it does satisfy your obligation. And any Orthodox Christians who are listening, you may receive Eucharist as well, provided you have permission by your own bishop. Speaking of bishops, our bishop, proud to say my bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, presented a tremendous gift to our church recently. And just in time for the spirit of giftedness, the spirit of the time and spirit of St. Nicholas, and of course of the upcoming event of the Lord's birth, the season of gift. That gift is the gift of something which is the soul of the Eastern churches, something which John Paul II referred to as the reference point for all baptized Christians. And that gift is a gift of monasticism. Recently, Bishop John Kudrick of the Upper Ark of Parma has developed a women's monastery, a women's community, a monastic community out in Burton, Ohio, on the grounds of our Shrine Everlady of Our Lady of Poach, out there in beautiful Amish country. What happened recently was one of the members of that community took some very, very special vows, another step towards the development of this monastery, which Bishop John began. This was a great gift to our church because the health of a church, especially the Eastern churches, is measured by its monasticism. And this is a new community that is grounded in an authentic Eastern Christian monasticism. And that community is called Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, Christ the Bridegroom Monastery out in Burton, Ohio. If you want to find out more about this monastery, besides visiting it, you can visit their website at Christthebridegroomblogspot.com.
1: That's Christ the Bridegroom, blogspot.com. Back to you, Father
0: Tom. Now, the vision of this community is this. Their community of monastic women in the Eparchy of Parliament is dedicated to a vigilant life of prayer and hospitality, according to the traditions of the Eastern Church. They lay down their lives in imitation of the bridegroom, and they joyfully embrace the monastic virtues of poverty, chastity, and obedience. They participate in the dynamic love of the Trinity by sharing a life of prayer, work, and recreation at their monastery. They meditate on Scripture, especially the Song of Songs. That's kind of their signature book from the Bible, the Song of Songs. And they immerse themselves in a life of personal and liturgical prayer. And they enter into a spousal relationship with Christ the bridegroom. Now, this is very, very real to them. In fact, this is very real to monasticism east and west. It is actually a marriage. That's right. It's a mystical marriage. And looking to the mother of God as their model, they open themselves to the divine life of the Holy Spirit, bearing forth fruit for the church and the world. And now their monastery provides a spiritual garden and bridal chamber in which they draw others into the same life-giving relationship with Christ, the bridegroom. See, lots of nuptial spousal ministry here. And see, that is what makes sense out of a calling such as monasticism, which we would see as very irrelevant or superfluous or not very functional or productive or practical or pragmatic today, because that's how we think about everything. We think monks are kind of like these strange people that are off there praying and really not doing anything worthwhile. But actually, monastics model for us our origin and our destiny. In fact, the ultimate reality. They are the most relevant. It is in monasticism that we find, as John Paul II himself said, the reference point for all the baptized. What does it mean, the reference point? It means that whether you're a monk or not, monasticism models for us, gives us a reference point to how we're supposed to be as Christians. The reason for our baptism, the why behind it, and our destiny. And our destiny is to become one bride of Christ, the bridegroom in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb. As the scripture says, you know, the resounding smash ending of the scriptures presents the image of heaven analogously as a wedding feast of the Lamb. In other words, we become the bride and we are wedded forever in perfect nuptial union with the one bridegroom. And it's monastics who make that reality present already on earth through their witness, through their spousal, mystical union with Christ, the bridegroom. Now, Eastern monasticism is a little bit different than the, in the West. The West got monasticism from the East, of course, but the West developed it in other ways, into what we call the religious orders and friaries and third orders and so on. There aren't quite these classifications in the East. The East basically just remained in the original form of monasticism. but. There are different stages of it en route to becoming a full-fledged nun or monk, or in other words, male or female monastic. And the Eastern churches uses different terminology than they do in the West. The very first level to becoming a full-fledged monastic in the East is called the dokimos. And a lot of these words are based in the Greek, so they're going to sound a little bit strange. The dokimos, which is like a postulant. It's one who seeks a trial period of living the monastic life. and the Docimos, in this case, we're going to talk about a female monastic. She wears simple clothing consisting of a long shirt, long-sleeved blouse, and a head covering. And then she moves to the novice. A novice is a beginner who embarks more seriously in the journey of the monastic life. The docimos becomes a novice during a liturgical service in which she will receive the clothing of the novice, the long-sleeved dress, and apostolnik, which is like a veil. She will be called by her name in the church with the title Sister. Although the novice does not make a profession, she is morally obligated to the complete discipline of the monastic life. The novitiate is a time of limited communication with those outside the monastery so the novice may learn to depend on her bridegroom alone. Isn't that beautiful? That makes It shows you how real that relationship is, that spousal relationship. It's a real thing. The novitiate lasts approximately three years in the Eastern churches. And after the first year, as a novice, she may petition to be tonsured as a rasifor. and I warned you, there's going to be some interesting Greek terms here. What is a rassifor? That's the next step up. So it's the third step. The rasaphor means robe-bearer. Robe-bearer. It's a nun of the first degree. And the novice becomes a rassifor during a liturgical service, again, in which she is tonsured. In other words, the bishop actually cuts off her hair. And it's a sign of commitment. She's given the belt and the riasa. That's like a Long flowing kind of almost cape like uh, vestment. A new monastic name chosen by the hegumena. That's that's the female version of the head of a monastery in the east. The hegumena, something like an abbess. The hegumena or abbess uh, gives the new rassafor a new name. So a new monastic name chosen by the hegumena is given at that time by the bishop. In other words, the head of the monastery submits the name for this candidate, for the Rassafor, and then the bishop selects it. And then she continues her monastic journey, and after ample experience in the monastery, will request to make her life profession, to be tonsured as a stavrofor nun. Here we go, next word, stavrofor. That's the second degree of monasticism, means cross-bearer, cross-bearer. The nut is received as a staff for doing a liturgical rite, again adapted from the what's called the Great Eucologian, it's a book of special services for the Eastern Churches, and again is tonsured, makes from monastic an profession and receives the book with veil. In other words, it's kind of like a, almost like a hat, looks like a little pot almost, and then from that comes a like veil that extends out from that. The panamandias with its crosses the mandyas, the chutki, a hand cross, and a candle. These are all different items of clothing that are given to the Eastern monastic. i we're going to talk more about the different stages of Eastern monasticism and the gift that our bishop left to our eparchy when we return. I'm from the Thomas Sloya on Light of the East.
1: Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com, or hear hear it again, hear it again, hear it again, for the first time. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East East. and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. To find out how you can obtain a copy of the Theosis CD, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. The Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church Theosis CD. And may God grant you...
0: You're listening to... Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. Pope John Paul II once said, Humanity its dignity and its balance at every moment and on every place on earth will depend upon who he is for her and who she is for him. I am Father Thomas Lawyer with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why are we a man? Why are we a woman? Unless we know the why, we do not know the how to be man or a woman, and therefore we do not know how to really be for each other. The why behind being a man or woman is told in the theology of our gendered bodies. Our bodies speak a language, gender reveals God. Through gender, we can actually participate in the way that God loves us. We can love as God loves. Human sexuality is an icon of the very interior life of the Holy Trinity. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. We're talking about the great gift that our bishop, Bishop John Kudra, gave to our eparchy, and therefore to the church and to the world. And that is the gift of a new monastery. This monastery has been in process for a little while, but it took a huge step forward, as I mentioned, when Bishop John received one of its candidates into the monastic state, into the state, a level of what we call stavrofor. And I was explaining that before the break, and I'll continue. The stavrophor again, it means cross-bearer. And the canon experiences the fullness of monastic life, sharing in the passion, death, and resurrection of her bridegroom. And she is given the title of mother to express the fruitfulness of this union. Before the nun is tonsured as a stavrofor, she relinquishes all monies, possessions, and property, and everything else, really. <laughs> At this point, the nun is committed to remain for her lifetime in Christ, the bridegroom monastery. The woman who was received by the bishop, and she re- received the tonsure in this level of Rassifor, novice, documus, and Stavrifor, her name was Sister Celeste Strohmeyer. She was a former parishioner of mine, proud to say, and a longtime friend. And she received the name, the new name by the bishop at her tonsure of Mother Theodora. And of course, Theodora really means gift of God, Theodora. So she'll now be called Theodora. I have to keep trying to call her that, because i always known her as Celeste. I know her when. Now, whenever I talk to her, I call up. I remember, I can't call her Celeste anymore. I have to call her Mother Theodora. Now, the final level of monasticism in the East is called the Megaloschemos. Megaloschemos. Lots of tough Greek words here. The Megaloschemos is the third and highest degree in Eastern monasticism. Not all nuns are called to the state of life. The Megaloskimoi immerse themselves in an ever-deepening life of austerity, penance, great prayer, and solitude. Boy, these are... These are the delta force. These are the green berets, the special forces of the church. Let me tell you. Only a stavre nun who has lived in the monastery for many years may be granted this particular life by the hegumina. And again, that the word hegumina means like an abbess. In other words, the female head of a monastery. And only with the consent of the nun's spiritual mother or father and the council. The Megaloskimos receives the polostavrion, which means many crosses. See, first she was a stavrefor, so she could wear a cross on her, and she receives a cross that she actually holds. But now, going to the highest level, she receives a garment that has many crosses on it, called the polystavrion. Now, in the monastic state, there's basically three mystical symbolisms of the profession service. And the profession service is a very beautiful service, a very moving service. There are three mystical ideas running throughout the the profession service. The first one is the mystical marriage of the soul with the heavenly bridegroom. You see, there's that spousal mystery again. It's very, very real. Now, this is a quote from a book by Robinson Naubro Frazier called Monasticism in the Orthodox Church, being an introduction to the study of the modern Hellenic and Slavonic monasticism and Orthodox profession rites. Okay, long title for the book, and here's what the author writes. The in view in the act of monastic profession is the mystical marriage of the soul with the heavenly bridegroom. The idea of the mystical espousals in a religious profession is common alike to Eastern and Western monasticisms. Monastic chastity is the renunciation of the human marital embrace and the blessing of biological children in order to exclusively embrace nuptial union with Christ the bridegroom, which is blissfully real. Did you get that? It is blissfully real. Now, it's hard for us to think in those terms. But there is a for real kind of marriage. Because what is marriage really? Marriage, even sacramental marriage between husband and wife, is primarily a self-donative action. In other words, giving of self totally. Giving yourself your entire being, yes, your sexuality, over to the other person in a way that is free, fruitful, faithful, and full. No strings attached. Well, a celibate does the same thing. Yes, including their sexuality. In other words, they will renounce one kind of experience of it, an earthly experience of it, to embrace a mystical experience of it. In other words, to offer their entire being, including their sexuality, to God. So they become the mystical spouse of God himself. So it's a very real thing. The spiritual children born and the motherhood experienced from this union are just as fulfilling and legitimate as any physical motherhood. And I can tell you that as a priest. I'm not a monastic, but I'm a celibate priest. And of course, I'm called father, and for a very good reason. Whenever someone says to me sometimes and they meet me, they say, Hey, can I just call you Tom? And I say, No. And not because I'm uppity. I think I'm better than they are. Actually, it's the opposite. It's a sign of humility on my part that the best thing for them, for this relationship between me, them, and myself, is the relationship that God deigned in which we came together. And that is. They met me as priest, which means my relationship to them must always be spiritual father. Now, that's a service to them. It's not putting myself above them. So A lot of people think it's, well, we're on the same level. We're all the kind of same. And they think it's something like more intimate. They can just call me Tom instead of father. You know, let this dispense with all that formal stuff. Oh, no, no. It has nothing to do with being formal. It's actually about a real genuine, deep, mystical intimacy. It's the real kind of friendship, the real relationship. So yes, I am called father. And I know very much what this means when monastics take these vows and they become spiritual mothers or spiritual fathers. Now, the second level, the first one, again, was the mystical marriage of the soul with the heavenly bridegroom. Now, the second one is called the second baptism. And the profession service runs parallel to the baptismal ceremonies of the third and fourth centuries at the same time of the institution of Christian monasticism. The Desert Fathers were of the opinion that those who enter the monastic life receive the same grace as that given at baptism, the grace of the remission of sins, so it's like a second baptism. Now, you can only be baptized once, so that's why they call it a kind of a second baptism. The nun is referred to as a catechumen or candidate and she's unclothed in the narthex as though she was about to be baptized by immersion and to signify that she's to put off the old man and put on the new. The vows are taken as at baptism and answered to formal questions the cross and candle correspond to those given at baptism. It was very interesting when I witnessed the profession of the once Sister Celeste, now Mother Theodora, she was given. She was given new clothes, put over her, just like at baptism. She started out with a white robe, but she was eventually had the other items of her monasticism put on her. And she was given a candle and a cross. Very, very reminiscent of what happened at baptism. Now, the third mystical symbolism of the profession service for an Eastern monastic is the what we call the return of the prodigal son. Just as prominent in the profession service is the enactment of the mystical drama of the return of the prodigal son to his father's house. A Benedictine monk who visited Mount Athos and experienced this service described the sight of the candidate coming forward barefooted and bareheaded. And this is from the, once again, from Robinson Nauberl Fraser's book, Monasticism in the Orthodox Churches. Here's the quote from the Benedictine monk. He has abandoned the world after drinking of the cup of its deceitful pleasures. Penitent he wishes to return to the father's house. Will anyone behold him from afar and come to meet him as in the parable? Yes, for see how the religious leave their stalls and bearing a lighted candle come to meet the converted one in order to lead him triumphantly to the gates of the sanctuary. They sing and the songs are but the utterance of the sentiments of his own heart. They are the echoes of penitence, of the renunciation of earthly delights, of joy at the return to the home fireside. Meanwhile, the happy one of the day has made three prostrations at the entrance into the church, in the midst of the choir, and finally before the doors of entrance into the sanctuary. The sanctuary represents the father's house. The Higumen, meaning the male head of a monastery, who stand in the open doorway, symbolizes the father of the household awaiting his son at the threshold of, of the palace. Again, it's a quote from the book by Robinson Nobrel fraser Monasticism in the Orthodox Churches. So the themes of a mystical marriage and also the repentant sinner, the prodigal son who has come home, are very, very much a part of the actual profession service in Eastern monasticism. Now, it's interesting that whenever we have the event of an ordination to the diaconate or to the priesthood in the Eastern Churches, We have some very similar elements. They begin in the back of the church, and they're escorted into the church, and they come into the church prostrating three times, once in the back, once in the middle, and once before the altar, or in other words, in front of the bishop, who will ordain them. And it's interesting to see the continuity in the church and its sacramental life, from baptism to ordination, and then also to monastic profession, how these themes of repentance, of coming home, of mystical marriage are all consistent and woven together. It's the same action. In fact, when I was ordained a priest, although I would be ordained, of course, as celibate priest, one of the quintessential moments of the ordination service that made me a priest, as it were, is the exact same ritual, the exact same chant, the exact same prayers, exact same gesture as in a Byzantine wedding ceremony. So in a sense, I too was married. Married in a mystical way to the church. The church is my bride. For a woman monastic, boy, is she lucky. Her mystical bride is Jesus Christ Himself. And we all have to live this way. This is called living the spells of mystery. And we're going to talk a lot more about this gift to the Eparchy of Parma by its bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, this gift of monasticism next time. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
1: Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time.